0: you look in your book tonight if you would to 1st Samuel chapter 17. 1st Samuel chapter 17. Uh, this may be more like a Wednesday night prayer meeting kind of a message, but I feel like it's what the Lord directed me to, so I don't argue with him much anymore at all about it. 1st Samuel chapter 17 and verse 38. And Saul armed David with his armor And he put an helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a scrip, And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee. Take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands and it came to pass when the Philistines arose when the Philistine arose and came and knew Nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it, and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood upon the Philistine, and took his sword, and drew it out of the sheath thereof, and slew him, cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistine saw their champion was dead, they fled. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to be here these uh, days, these several days. We thank you for the good presence of the Lord in the services. We thank you for anything and everything that perhaps has been accomplished in the hearts and lives of people. Maybe things that will affect them positively down the road of life. And I pray, God, that you'd help tonight in these few minutes that I'll be able to be a help and encouragement. And uh, maybe a new little thought, perhaps it might be a blessing to someone tonight. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. I want to discuss in verse number 40 where it says five smooth stones. Now, I want to talk to you tonight about the five smooth stones. Now, David undoubtedly was a good soldier. Perhaps he was Israel's greatest soldier. Ballads were sung about him by the women of Israel to the fact that he had sl- later on he had slew his tens of thousands. This, however, was his initial conquest. I want to discuss for just a moment the count of the five. Now we have five fingers. We have five toes. Unless you're one of Goliath's brothers, they had six of each of those. Uh, We have five senses. We have the sense of sight and, and smell and touch and taste and hearing. These uh, five stones perhaps appear to just be a handful of nondescript characters amongst the millions of stones that lay in the brook in Elah's Valley. And at random drawing, as he hastened towards the Goliath the giant, I can see David, I, I don't think, I, I'm a hunter, I love to hunt, I love to deer hunt. I hunt all kinds of other things if I get the opportunity, but I love to deer hunt. And if you see a deer and you have an opportunity to get out of the stand, uh, you try to slip your way, sneak your way towards it. I don't do much of that anymore. I just sit and stand, wait for the dumb deer to come by. (laughs) But uh, when you're, you see, and you're making a move and you're, you know, behind this tree and behind this copse of brush and so on and so forth, Uh, hopefully you got your gun loaded. But if you don't, you reach in your pocket, you reach in your belt, and you grab a shell and you put it in the chamber and you uh, get ready to take care of the prey that you're after. I don't think as David went towards Goliath that he, he was inexperienced in the kind of stone that he was looking for. And I think he kept his eye on the enemy of course, he would have had to have bent over a little bit, grabbed those stones out of that uh, babbling brook. The Bible says there in verse number 40, five smooth stones. It says in verse number 49, David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone. Five stones. I think they're important. I think they're vital. They are. We have five tools in the hand of the Lord to perfect the church, for the work of the ministry, for the edification of the body. There are five stones that God uses to measure up, that we might measure up to the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter four and verse number 12 says there are apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. We need all of those in the work of a local church for it to become what it ought to be. Then there's the condition of the stones. They were smooth. They had been in that stream since the dawn of creation. They'd been through droughts. They'd been through floods. They'd been through storms. They'd been through ice. They had been in that uh, stream when it had broken its banks and become a raging river. It had been in dry times when it ceased to be that and was a babbling brook. You ever wonder why Israel had to spend 40 years in the desert? You ever wonder why the Apostle Paul had to spend three years in the Arabian desert? Have you ever wondered why it seemed like God hasn't used you yet to whatever you think God wants you to do? Those stones, they rolled around in that stream's bed until God was ready to use them for a specific task. Now I want to say to you tonight, stay where you are till God is ready to use you. Stay where you are until he has knocked off everything out of your life that doesn't look Like a Christian that's in your life. A lot of young men, especially, they get impatient. Now, this is my own homespun definition of impatience. Impatience is nothing more than inflated ego. Spurgeon, in his reply to anxiety, he said, I'm in a hurry and God's not. These stones were just regular stones of total insignificance until they got in the hand of David. And our goal, our goal in life is to find out what God's purpose is, get in his hand and let him do what he wants to do in our lives. We are nothing. You are nothing. I am nothing until In the supernatural hand of God, he can do in our lives what he wants to do. I got a book there on the table. I don't think anybody's gotten one this week or any week. It's uh, the autobiography of Mel Trotter. Mel Trotter was a man got saved. He was a drunk and got saved in the Pacific Garden Mission way back. I believe it was 1899 when he was converted to Jesus Christ. But in that book, Uh, The the first half of that book is uh, uh, his autobiography. The second half of that book is uh, testimonies of people that got saved in rescue missions. There was a man by the name of Casey Vanderjack. Casey Vanderjack owned 40 cabs, taxi cabs in the city of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Now he used those taxi cabs uh, once in a while to pick up fares and take people places. But he made his big money by hauling liquor back during Prohibition and uh, hauling women around for illicit purposes. That's how he made his fortune it with those 40 taxicabs. One day he stumbled into the Pacific, car, excuse me, the Grand Rapids, Michigan uh, mission that uh, Mel Trotter had started and Mel was preaching there and Casey Vanderjack walked the aisle and got saved. The next day he sold all 40 of those taxicabs, bought him some coal trucks and started hauling coal and making an honest living. I knew Casey Vanderjack very well. He was one of my dad's dearest friends. He would come into our church. He was a giant of a man himself, probably six, four or six, a oh, large shock of white hair. Casey Vanderjack would preach for my father. Casey Vanderjack could not read his own name. His wife would get in the pulpit. She would read his text. She'd go sit down and Casey would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in a powerful way. He was a tremendous, tremendous man, but he could not read at all. Fred Vaught, who came to college here at Tennessee Temple, Fred could not read or read. Right. And I want to say this to you, you may not even know how to spell gospel, but under the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost of God, you can preach the gospel. We are, we are not much at all, if anything, until we get in the hands of God. There was no power in them, stones, those stones themselves. there is no initiative on their own. Let God. Do what he wants to do in and through your life. I don't think those stones were ever used again for anything. They went back to the brook. I don't know, maybe David kept one as a souvenir. I don't know, the one that took the giant out. But let God work in your life. Let God accomplish what he wants to. The problem with the average fundamental fundamentalist in America is we think we've arrived We've forgotten where we came from. We, we, we've eliminated from our thinking the brook where we were found. Right. This little thought, and I'm not gonna spend much time here, but the collection, the collection of the five stones from the brook, that, that's the world. Uh, we're, we're not to spend our lives and our ministries trying to attract people but we should be attempting to produce saints. It's not the seating capacity that determines the greatness of a church. It's the sending capacity of a church. On the 62nd anniversary of my father pastoring the church in Michigan, he retired. They added up, they counted up all the young men and all the young ladies over those 62 years that had gone into the ministry. Many of them are still faithful. Some have already gone to heaven. Some went like uh, shooting stars and they didn't last very long. But in 62 years pastoring that church, 186 young people went into full-time Christian service. And I would say conservatively, conservatively tonight that probably 75 or 80 of them are still serving God right now. Again, some are dead. It's not, Boy, wouldn't it have been great if they could have kept those 186 people there and they stayed in that church and worked? That's not the goal of the church. Yeah, that's right. To send people out into the harvest fields of this world to reach people with the gospel. God is looking for servants in the shopping place of personal commitment you don't have to be the big shot you don't have to be the most important you know one of the best things that ever happens to a preacher when he's at a a preacher's meeting and uh, his name is not on the brochure or on the uh, the, whatever the advertisement vehicle is that down at the bottom it says and others will be called from the floor Uh, that's probably the best place for a preacher to get you, you know the the ubiquitous uh, speakers called from the floor. You know, everybody wants to be, you know, on the big stage. You really, need, you really need to start in the beginner's department. You really need to start at the bottom. Now, guys like me, I started at the bottom. I've liked it so much, I'm just staying there, thank God. What about the container? The container in, in verse number 40. The Bible said out of the brook and he put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a scrip." Now I'd like to consider that to be the church. That, that container, when God picks those stones out of the brook of the world and he places them in the church. We get in, we get in the church. We get, we're, we're born into the church. We're birthed into the family of God. We're baptized and we live for God and our work needs to be around the local church. Several members in the body. The Bible said there are comely members and there are those uncomely parts. But they all have importance. I said a while ago, I like to deer hunt. Now, I don't shoot little bucks. Uh, I don't shoot does. I have shot a doe or two in my life uh, just because they, they, you know, I was upset because I hadn't killed anything and I was mad at every deer I saw. But you know what attracts a hunter to a deer is that, those horns, those antlers, that, that rack. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for, we want to put them on the wall. We want to, you know, I don't think when we get to heaven we're going to get any rewards for the deer we shot. I don't believe that. But the thing that attracts a deer to a man to shoot, that's the thing that's going to get him killed. But the thing that delivers the deer, and I've had more deer delivered from me than I've killed, I guess, sometimes they take that for granted. That's their legs. That's those hindquarters that can get them out of there just in a millisecond. We don't have anything to be proud about. We don't have anything. Your past and my past, there's nothing to it. God, help us. I think an arrogant clergy is a useless clergy. Then the choosing, the choosing. Now I, I I'm gonna put some imaginary thoughts in the non minds of those other four stones, smooth stones that were in that bag and that scrip. I don't think uh, when that when David reached in and grabbed that one and put it in his sling, I don't the other I don't think the other four said, "Choose me, pick me, pick me. Why didn't you pick me?" I think they may have been, you know, uh, like some Baptists. Maybe they were Baptist stones. I don't know. You know, why didn't the preacher call on me? Why didn't the pastor ask me? I don't think those stones had that attitude. I I think we ought to just be glad, just be thankful that God has put us in his bag. We ought to be proud of another success. Jealousy has no place in the hearts and minds of a child of God. Romans 12 and 15 says, we're to rejoice with them that do rejoice. When I got saved in 1970, March of 1970, there were four pretty wicked fellas uh, that had gotten saved uh, before I did in our church. Well, one of them, only one of them really was, his family was a church member, but he was, a, I looked up to him, he was two or three years older than me, as wicked as the devil, And uh, God saved him and then he had three of his close friends got saved and these guys had nothing to do with our church. They got in there, they got born again, you know, that's back in the hippie days and they got their hair cut and they cleaned up and threw away their dope and got serving God and living for God. And I got called to preach and went off to Bible school and there was one of those boys uh, that got saved in that great revival really that went on there in the church and there were scores of Scores of other young men that got saved and people. But Roy was jealous. And he called himself to preach. And he even went away to Bible school. But his life turned out to be a terrible tragedy. If he would have just stayed in the bag, if he'd have just kept his place, he, he didn't have to. Listen, when you go out, when you jump out of the bag on your own, there's nothing but tragedy. You're gonna hurt yourself, you're gonna hurt your family. There's a man who went to my dad's church for decades <laughs> he was He was the superintendent of the beginner's department, which would be four, five and six year olds you know, maybe you know preschool first and second grade kids, just little kids and the church was big in those days, and I don't know he'd have fifty to sixty kids and his Sunday school department and my dad would have preachers meetings every once in a while and, and he'd have all the preachers stand up and you know I'm pastor so and So from somewhere and I'm evangelist so and so from somewhere and this guy would stand up and say I'm so and so, I'm the pastor of the Beginner's Baptist Church at Parker Memorial Baptist Church. The Beginner's Baptist Church was a department in the church. Uh, God help us to just find our niche find our place no matter how humble and insignificant it may appear and do the best we possibly can within the realm of our responsibility when you get chosen or you don't get chosen I, you know a lot of people don't desire to leave the cozy environs and the companionship of the other stones that were in the script we're not in competition that's, that's absolutely ridiculous my brothers and I, I was the oldest of five boys. Uh, my brothers and I, you know, I, Johnny was here, I think, at your Jubilee. And he told somebody at the Jubilee, because the guy came and gossiped to me. But Johnny was lying. And I'm glad he confessed Johnny's sin, to be honest with you. But he said, he, Johnny told this guy, he said, I'm still afraid of Tim. He said, I'm scared. He said, man, he used to hit me. He said, Tim used to hit me and he knocked me across the room. He was that part of it was true. I used to, I could beat up all my I could beat up all my brothers. I was the oldest, I was the biggest. I could, I could whip them all. I couldn't whip their grandchildren today. But we would we would wrestle, we would box. When my mother died in 1975, my dad was single for nine years. We would have Thanksgiving over to his house. Uh, his dining room and uh, living room would be was just about as wide as that section of pews and just about that long. Well, when we get there for Thanksgiving, the dinner was over, we'd pick up all the furniture and we'd haul it down to one end of the room. We would box, we would wrestle, we would we would compete. We were competing one with another. Now, my brothers and I, we still compete. But we compete on the level of blood pressure, and uh, you know that kind of stuff, cholesterol count, that kind of stuff. Who's got the highest, and who's in the worst shape? We're not. We're not in competition with anybody. You know, a lot. Of, we, we never. We, we, my dad. You know, we, he was very conservative. We didn't have a four wheeler. We didn't have any of that. Any of the stuff that so many people seem to have today. Our only four wheeler was a lawnmower that you had to push. We never even had a ride in one. Then I want you to consider the completion, the completion of the stone's job. That job slew the giant, propelled by David and directed, I think, by the hand of God. He finished the job. Now, I don't know if stones get to go to heaven or not. I preached last night. There's going to be a bunch of white ones up there. But I, I don't think that stone's going to get to go to heaven. I think it'd be kind of neat if it was up there and we could go by and look at it. I, think it. I think it would be great. I'd say that stone could hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant from the Lord. I was privileged to be in Mount Airy, North Carolina by uh, good Lord willing, I'll be there Sunday, flying there Saturday. But uh, I uh, was there when Mrs. Carl Lackey died And Carl Lackey and Mrs. Lackey, they were heroes of mine. They didn't have any children of their own. When I would go there to preach, and I preached my first revival there in 1976 as just a kid, I always stayed in their home with them, and they babied me, they treated me uh, just absolutely wonderful, as nice as your pastor and his wife treat me. And they're like my kids, you know, (laughs) they're not like my grandparents, but the Lackeys were just wonderful to me, and I was there, and uh, she had died, and one of the preachers came to me. He said, now, Brother Lackey wants you to speak, and he's also asked your dad. He said, but your dad seems to be so uptight and he can't figure out what to say. And he said, Tim, really the responsibility of this is going to be on your shoulders. And I said, oh, my goodness, And also I put together a sermon, and God used it and blessed it that day. And when the service, I'll, I'll just throw this at you to think about, in that service that day, was, I don't know, there were 105 preachers there. I know that. But in that service that day, they asked, they said, how many people, how many men, how many preachers are here today that Mrs. Lackey won you to Jesus Christ when you were a child or when you were a grown man or whatever stage of your life? But Mrs. Lackey won you to Jesus Christ and you're a preacher of the gospel today, you're an evangelist, you're a pastor, you're a missionary. 61 men stood to their feet that that precious sainted lady had won to Jesus Christ. I don't know, Brother uh, Ricky, if uh, you or Brother Ellis, if you know any preacher's wife in America that won 61 boys and men to the Lord who became preachers, that might be the world's record. I don't know. That's a tremendous amount of people for one woman to win to Christ and turn out to be preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I remember we went out around and the only reason I know there was 105 preachers there is we went and circled the grave and I'll see her grave this weekend. Uh, we circled her grave and another man did the committal service and Dr. Lackey was in a wheelchair at the time and I was standing next to him and he had a hold of my hand and he squeezed my hand and I looked down at the old sainted gentleman and he looked up at me and he said this. He said, you've done good, boy. you done good, boy. I've had preachers, I meant to say people, but I've had preachers say negative things to me about my ministry and my life. I've had people say things, unkind things. I don't pay any attention to it because one day about 25 years ago, an old man of God said, you done good, boy. Everything else fades into absolute insignificance. And one of these days, I'm gonna stand before The Lord Jesus Christ, he'll say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. God, help us to complete the task that God has assigned to us. Then what about the celebration? And I'm through. We're in a partnership. You can't do the work of God alone. You can't get it done alone. That stone, I think all it did is stun old Goliath. He fell flat on his face David ran up there and got his sword, got Goliath's sword, and chopped his head off. I'd have liked to that. You know, I, I like, you know, you, a lot of you young boys, you got your Bibles open, that's a good thing. But when I was a boy, and I don't know what kind of Bible you got, I hope it's a King James, I believe it probably is. But when I was a boy, I used to have a Bible that had pictures in it. I mean, they had great pictures in it. And a lot of times, you know, when I was 10, 8, 12, whatever, I'd get bored in church. And so I'd get, I had my little Bible and I'd open, I'd turn it over to that page where there was a picture in there. I mean, you talk about a lurid picture of David and he's holding Goliath's head and blood is dripping out of the bottom of that thing. That'll keep a boy interested in church now. (laughs) I wish I still had that old Bible. And I can imagine now, David chops that head off. And The Bible said that stone, it's, it's sunk in there. I can see David rolling that head over, taking the tip of that sword and popping that, <laughs> popping that stone out of there, looking at that thing and putting it back in that bag. You know what I think he said? This is a keeper. This is a keeper. <laughs> And I think when he, that stone got back in that bag, those other stones said, Where, what did you do? Where have you been? What have you been involved in? I'd like to know what you got to do. What did you accomplish? And I can imagine that stone saying, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. And I want to say to you tonight, there is joy in the presence of the Lord over one sinner that gets saved. And when you get somebody saved, we don't, we don't stick our thumbs neath our lapels and say, boy, I'm a soul winner. No, we don't do that. We get back in the huddle and we congratulate one another and say, thank God. And we, we honestly know that there's a great cloud of witnesses up there that are cheering us on. God help us to be involved in the business of reaching souls with the gospel of Jesus Christ, trying to get people saved, we're not competing, we're not trying to put other people down. we're not the greatest person in the world, but we can be a stone. That's right. He can be a simple stone plucked out of the brook of life, and God can use us. And when he does, and we get back with you know stones that have pretty good sense, we can all rejoice one with another. We can praise God together. We can thank God. Boy, isn't that one? I have preacher friends. They'll call me and we'll talk, and they'll say, Well, I had five saved last Sunday here, had two saved, whatever. Sometimes it's even greater numbers than that. Wonderful stories. The last uh, meeting I had that had a lot of people saved. Boy, I mean, it was just a hallelujah, blessed time. I remember preaching at Fort Knox. In Kentucky, I preached there several times. And uh, the soldiers would come. It'd be 135 to 150 soldiers. I, I can see it in my mind's eye, just like it was right now. The color of the carpet at that place was just about the same as this. And preach the simple gospel of Jesus Christ to those young men and see them come and get in the altar, 35, 45, 55 young men coming and calling on God, every one of them getting dealt with, every one of them getting a King James Bible, coming forward and getting saved in the front of their fellow soldiers, some who didn't come, maybe might have mocked or laughed. But I remember standing there more than once. I don't know how many times I preached down there to Fort Knox, but I can remember standing there and the preacher that set it up, he would say, look at that, Tim. And all across the front of that auditorium, there would be two lines about that long and about that wide, and that would be the boot marks, those polished boot marks of those soldier boys and some girls nowadays, soldier boys, and every single two boot marks, two boot marks, two boot marks, every single one, there'd be a little puddle of tears a little puddle of tears and a little puddle of tears. Those boys and girls wept their way to Jesus Christ. I'm talking about 18, 20, 25 year old young people coming to Jesus Christ. Thank God. Yes. Oh, and you know, some they'd have other guys do it, and you know, maybe they, uh, I preached they had 38 saved, and the next guy maybe had 42 saved. We were. It's not competition. No. We're not fighting over it. That's right. I would say they had 142 saved. Yes. wouldn't it bother me. God help us, God help us to just be a pebble in the palm of God's hand. Father in heaven, we thank you for a few minutes tonight. The thought to me is, it's enjoyable, it's wonderful just to be considered. One day, a little over 49 years ago, you plucked me out of the river of life. Really, I think I was pretty close to the sewer of life. You picked me up, wiped me off, and put me in your bag, and I've been able, and I trust willingly always, when you reach in and you need someone to put in your sling to do something, to do anything, that I'd be willing to do it. I'd just be almost an inanimate object in your hand to do what you want done at various junctures of life. I pray you'd help us tonight. May God's children recognize what we are, what little we have if next to nothing outside of your good hand of grace upon our life and your ability and your willing to use us how we ought to rejoice in that that you would take the likes of us and do anything with us that would bring honor and glory to thee I pray you'd help us help young men in this room to say I want to be a Pebble in the palm of God's hand I want to be used I want to be put in the sling I'm not interested in being a big shot I just want to be a faithful servant of God almighty and I pray Lord give us someone give us several someones tonight that would say that's me I just want to get in the bag I just want to get in your hand every once in a while Lord to be used of you our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Our, the ladies are playing. Young men are coming, and some ladies, I think, are coming. Let's stand to our feet. Maybe you want to come. And just let God know, I'm available. There might be a stone that gets picked, and I stay in the bag and never even get out of the bag. So what? We're in the bag. <laughs> so What? He picked us up out of the stream of life. So what? We belong to him. That's a blessing in and of itself. We never do a thing that gets written up in a paper. We never do a thing that anybody else sees. But God, who cares? Nothing else really matters as long as we're available and we're usable and God can take us and do with us whatever he wants to do. Father in heaven, I pray you bless folk that have come tonight for whatever reason. I pray you'd help us to be pliable. Help us to be humble. Help us to stay that way. Help us not to be selfish. Help us not to be egotistical. Help us never, oh God, to, when we get used to go back in the bag and say, hey, 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 you guys didn't get to do anything. I did it all. We don't do anything. We're just in your hand, and I pray you'd bless and help, bless this church. My heart is with Brother Gravley. My thoughts are with him. I don't think as the day goes by. I don't think about him. I know I never, I, another day goes by. I don't pray about this place. Wonder what it's doing. I pray you'd keep your good hand of grace upon him. Bless his family. Bless his church family. God, I pray you would bind, you would bind their lives together with strong widths, strong ropes, God, even strong chains. The spirit of unity and the bond of peace would always be present Within this place. And we ask it, O oh God, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we love and whom we serve.